Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Well, as you can probably tell by now, the Nosebleeds Podcast is back. Back and ready for the 2023 MLB season, which is approaching us fast. And we can't wait for it to get started. And we're super excited to be back here in the same room giving you the baseball content from WFUV Sports. I am Brian Raybackson. I am pleased to be joined alongside Maddie Bamonte and Lou Orlando for this opening 2023 edition of Nosebleeds. And guys, it's kind of crazy. We're a week away from the MLB season. I almost can't believe it. I know we've gotten a taste of baseball with the World Baseball Classic, but seven days away. Crazy to think about. Wow, seven days. That's that's crazy. Guys, it feels like just yesterday I was at the Mets postseason, and then that quickly ended, and then I've been waiting ever since to be back here, back to talk about the Mets. There's so many great things happening across Major League Baseball, the World Baseball Classic that we just witnessed that didn't fall our way, but it has truly been a time worth coming for this at this point. Yeah, the, the World Baseball Classic is where we're going to start. It was a tough ending for the Americans, but at the end of the day, every baseball fan was a winner watching the World Baseball Classic. The whole tournament was incredible, really from start to finish, and especially when the knockout stage start, started with the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final game between the U.S. and Japan. All of it was excellent, and there was a lot of talk with the injuries and how these games might have been meaningless, but it certainly did not seem like that from the energy that was brought from the crowd and the pace of play that these games were at. These really felt like some of the most important games you were watching as a baseball fan, and all the players were super invested in it. And I think, guys, we have to start with the fact that how incredible this tournament was, and really every baseball fan should have been amazed watching what we saw. Oh my gosh, yeah. It was you heard it from every single player playing that they loved playing. They were proud to be representing their countries and they couldn't have thought of a better way to spend their off season at that point. And so to hear all of this positive feedback from the players themselves really shows that they want to continue doing this because we had that hiatus for a little while and now that it's back and gonna happen again in twenty twenty six it was just crazy and absolutely amazing to see. I think there were 5 million viewers for the USA-Japan game, which was the most that the World Baseball Classic ever saw. Um, but the tournament as itself for the U.S. was just kind of a historic run. When you looked at the lineup going into that final game, it was just like all-star after all-star. It was just the all what you wanted when you see like an all-star team to go in there. Obviously, like you mentioned, Brian, it didn't fall in the way we wanted, and we kind of got sold a little short there by the the matchup we hoped was going to be the greatest matchup of all time, and it kind of fell a little short, in my opinion, when we saw it. But truly, what a great time to watch and to be a USA fan watching baseball. It was honestly amazing, and I loved and I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I don't think I realized how much I needed World Baseball Classic in my life. Like, it wasn't really on my radar until it started and then it starts and you're like oh my god this is this is awesome especially in a time at march where it's like usually you kind of get like slowly pumped for the season to start and it's like when you get this level of baseball this early like that's awesome and it like kind of reminded me i forgot how amazing that adam jones 
game-saving, home-run-saving catch was in the last World Baseball Classic that got shown for, like, five years straight. It's like, yeah, I forgot how electric these moments were. And you, you talked about, like, All-Star Game. What's the biggest complaints about All-Star Games that they don't really mean anything? There's not, like, you're seeing the best players, but it doesn't feel like a super competitive game. And this felt like the Olympics, which baseball doesn't have, right? This felt like getting the best athletes together making an absolute super team, but then also having it be like they're playing for the World Series. And that was what was so awesome. And the atmospheres of these games were crazy. You had Trey Turner hitting the Grand Slam in the quarterfinal game, and he said, that was the loudest crowd I've ever heard. That was one of the biggest hits of my life. Mike Trout saying this is the most fun he's ever had playing baseball. So when you have top guys like that talking about how great this tournament is, it really is a great thing for the World Baseball Classic. And... We're only getting it in three years. I think it's usually four years apart, but with the lay with the layoff with COVID, it's kind of crazy. Six years we went without the World Baseball Classic, and now having it this year, it was really refreshing and really just a great way to spend the off season. Because spring training, spring training can drag a little bit. You know, the games don't mean a ton. Guys are just getting reps in, but to see meaningful baseball in March, just absolutely incredible. And some of these games were amazing the, the the final game between the u.s and japan was terrific and the key moment as maddie kind of alluded to a second ago was the otani and trout matchup at the end as someone who has been an avid baseball fan for a long time seeing those two go up against each other i really was able to take in that moment because we may never see those two face off again as a hitter and a pitcher against each other oh, so God, i no. thought it was a really cool moment and a really oh, when Otani's a Yankee, then we get to see <laughs> oh, all that. That's, that's a whole different yeah. conversation. But with Otani and Trout going up against each other and the at bat too, it meant the whole the, the whole tournament came down to Trout and Otani. I mean, you can't script that any better. Can't no, do it. You can't. And and when you when it came down to it, like um, with the Schwarber home run, that was just absolutely great to see. And then you follow it up, and it just set up so perfectly. You Darvish just doesn't do what he needs to do. Uh, Otani comes in, walks Jeff McNeil, and then you're there. You you get Mookie Betts, who just absolutely skies it and doesn't do anything oh. with that. And you get Trout. You get exactly what you wanted the entire time. And Trout just, I, I feel like you're, while Trout is considered to be one of the best players in baseball, I guess still, Otani is like the newest generation of players we've never seen before. And that was like purely to show, hey, this guy really is a big deal because I think people still have been on the fence with him being the two-way player and being like, oh, is he really that good? Is he really going to be this long-term, you know, all-star who can pitch and hit? He did it. He was running around in the dugout, like in between innings, like stressed out, and he pitched phenomenally. He threw like, what, 102 in one of his like... Um, he was sitting 101, 102, like around there. It was crazy. Like, you don't see that. I thought I saw some crazy thing. It was like he hit 102, he hit a ball like 100 miles per hour, and he ran from home to first in 4.1 4. Yeah, seconds. He's yeah. also so fast. He's I like, did not fast. realize that. He can steal bases, and he can lay out triples too. He's and an athlete. And the, I think the craziest thing about the Trout-Otani matchup was the fact that he was just throwing fastballs like right down the middle. He was challenging Mike Trout, mm -hmm. and Trout was not touching him. 
No. They were just Trout blowing fastballs right by fastball. one of the best hitters and then in he, the league. He was like, okay, I'll go 89 slider that breaks three <laughs> feet off the plate yeah. on you. Try and hit it. It's just absolutely ridiculous to watch because I, I honestly, and I remember going into the game, I wasn't even sure if he was going to fully pitch because I think there was like some rumors, oh, is he going to pitch in this last game or is he just going to stay as a hitter for this? And he ended up pitching and I'm so glad he did because genuinely Japan had a phenomenal run as well. And while the, we could talk all day about the U.S., Japan just, I would say that Japan-Mexico game was one of the most enjoyable games to watch just because of how thrilling both teams were. I loved watching Mexico in this tournament. Um, they just played fantastic. Like, we brought up the, um, uh, like, all the other games that had happened, but Mexico and Japan was, like, that was, like, I think the first game where I was, like, w- like nobody really can sit here and say these games are meaningless at this oh, point. No. This means so much to everybody that uh, at the end of the day, no matter what you think about the injuries or everything, like, it's it means something to a lot of people, and they take it very seriously, and that should be respected at the end of the day. Randy Arozarena also had a lot of flashes in this tournament as well, and this meant a lot to him too as he is now a Mexican citizen, and he's representing Mexico. It was a big deal for him, and he said, again, similarly to the thread that we were talking about earlier where his catch in, I think, the quarterfinals or whenever it was, he said that was bigger than any catch I've ever had. It was bigger than any home run I've ever hit. It was bigger than a home run I've hit in the World Series. So it shows these games are meaningful. And another guy I want to touch on is Trey Turner. He had an incredible tournament for the U.S. team. And he every turn, every turn he was hitting bombs. And it really kind of shows the power he has, the speed we all know. And he's a great shortstop as well. And I was kind of wondering this. Is he is he the best shortstop in the league, or is it just recency bias? Because he exploded in this tournament, and I, I think he overall he is he's the best shortstop in the league. I just don't and this think, was just proving it. I just don't think anybody really compares to him at this point. Like when you look at the the guys that are up there, like Lindor. Like I just don't think Lindor is doing the same kind of things that Trey Turner is doing and has done. His his postseason has been very consistent with how he's been like consistently with when he was with the Dodgers and when he made the run with Washington. Um, I just feel like he has always been that guy and he continues to be that guy and with the Phillies now coming into a team that just won the NL last year I really just I don't see him regressing I think that this was his moment and his passion for the game really translates and when you're hitting 391 in and five home runs in six games that's crazy to think that you're hitting five and six. So I feel like, for me, he's the top guy in the league right now. And, and I don't think, maybe if other players played um, in the World Baseball Classic to the same level as him, like if Lindor had played or something like that. It Lindor may- had some moments, though. He had some moments, but I just don't think to the same level he was Trey Turner. No, absolutely not. Trey Turner was the man in this tournament. I, I think, like, when you first poised the question, I was like, he's definitely top three. Is he one? And then you start going through your names, the names, and it's like, yeah, he's one. And it, what's weird is that it, it kind of feels like it's not close. Like, for a second, I was sitting on Correa and going, like, Correa, I think, is the only one that, when you combine the offense and the defense, consistently has. Yeah. yeah. Or running to be at one. But I still, th- I still think, I think you people go overrate Correa a little, I, uh, a little bit. There, like, Right, like it's not Dansby. It's no. not we're we're out we're kinda out on Lindor in terms of him being the best shortstop in the league. It's not, the, the bat. it's not it's not Xander because he can do it with the bat. He doesn't have the glove or the, the speed that Turner does. And even I you know, I'd probably I might take Turner's bat over Xander's bat. So it's like 
I you run through all those top shortstops. IKF probably not. So it's like, oh. Nah. <laughs> really? You don't think so? He might not even be the best shortstop on his own team. Uh. So <laughs> that, that's a whole topic that we're going to cover later. But and you uh, know the talent on these this U.S. team. I mean, you look down that lineup. It was just. As you, Maddie mentioned, all star after all star after all star. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, last year's MVP winner. The list can go on and on. Kyle Higashioka. Kyle Higashioka. <laughs> got got, he, he got, got some reps. Well, no, he didn't mm-hmm. get a bad too. He got some reps. He was a, he caught an inning, but there were the the pitchers and the big thing that a lot of people were talking about coming to this is that the USA didn't have great pitching because a lot of the great pitchers that are American in the major leagues they opted to stay in spring training, and I think it sparks an interesting discussion as to is the U.S., when, they, the, when the World Baseball Classic comes around again, are they going to get all the best of the best? Because the hitters, they went. But the pitchers, it's a different story. I think Max Scherzer talked about how there's just no way he could pitch in the World Baseball Classic because when he's doing doing spring training, he's ramping up for the regular season. He's just His arm wouldn't be able to handle a meaningful, crucial game like in the World Baseball Classic. So I think it's an interesting discussion as to pitchers in the future, are they going to be willing to join the World Baseball Classic in the same way that we saw people from other countries do it? I think, like, as far as, as, far as we know, no pitcher suffered arm injuries, right? I know we Edwin Not Diaz had... Some pitchers suffered other injuries. Yeah. Others, but in terms of the actual act of pitching and the, the care of their arm, we'll have to see what the... It'll be curious to compare the stats of the pitchers that pitched in the World Baseball Classic during the regular season with those who sat out and just ramped up, because it does make a ton of sense, right? Pitching is... You know, you really want to make sure you're good and you get ramped up, and that's why there's so much focus on, like, even you'll, you'll see the Yankees, right? Like, they won't let guys pitch super deep those first couple of weeks of the season, even when they have a full spring training, where it's like sometimes they use April as, like, mini spring training. So I, I am not surprised that a lot of pitchers are cautious about joining the World Baseball Classic, but I do think, you know, you watch how electric this series was and how it's, these clips on YouTube, on TikTok, are getting some of the most clicks that baseball's ever gotten. And right, we're talking about baseball as a sport that's fallen behind basketball and football and needs to get back up there. And it's like you see that environment and you compare that to I could just be toiling away in spring training playing a doubleheader against a college team or, or against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're like, yeah, I think I might go to the World Baseball Classic because that where are you going to get that energy and that vibe in March? Yeah, I kind of agree. I just I don't really see many pitchers being willing to go in 2026 just because like you mentioned what Max Scherzer said I think a lot of pitchers kind of share that mentality of like you know I got to be healthy for my team I don't want to waste my arm in in uh, March like it's just not for me and that's respectable I understand it it's a shame that it, it like the timing kind of works out the way it does but it just I think it's just while there were no injuries, like we said, a little too risky for pitchers, I think, as a whole, just because of how exhausted arms get so quickly. I mean, it was a shame to kind of see Merrill Kelly starting <laughs> the most important game for the U.S. Yeah, in the World Baseball Classic. There was a Classic. lot of disappointment felt by the fan base. But, <laughs> but it's like, I appreciate the pitchers that did step up, that wanted to step up, were there. But it's I, do, I don't see this kind of changing going forward. I, I definitely think, right, like, you saw more dominant relievers than starters. I think that's... Oh, you'll, yeah. You'll see the relievers go. I think it's easier for the relievers to get ramped up. It's less stretch. It's, it's easier, right? They don't have to pitch the five innings or whatever. So I think, right, you saw Diaz go on the, on the U.S. team. You had Bednar and I think a slew of really good relievers. Like, I think we'll see a lot of really good relievers go. I think for the starters, that's the tougher thing where you really... 
you can have slim pickings. I would yeah. agree because the way the lineup has been looking with a lot of these pitchers, they've been going really short innings, if, if any. Like mm-hmm. a lot of them don't even go full innings. And there has been because right. the, the managers still too. understand There's that the pitch pitchers are still getting ramped up for yeah. the regular season, right. so they can't have them go six, seven, eight innings. So I think for for relievers, it is a great kind of launching point for them if they want to get started, if they want to get their name out there on the big stage, like to show, like especially if you know you're going to come into a big year where you're going to go into free agency or something and you say, hey, look at my highlights from the World Baseball Classic of me pitching before the season even started and look at how I progressed to the end of the season. I went just, I went even longer than some of these other guys. It could show like some extra reps for them that would really help them in the long run. But as for like the major starting pitchers, I just don't see it anymore. And I think another thing about the World Baseball Classic that's great, you, and you mentioned eyes on the product and the big stage. This is a really useful way to get people, to get people, gets people some looks. And we saw that the Tigers signed a guy, I believe, a pitcher who mm-hmm. struck, had a good performance in the World Baseball Classic, and they signed him. Yeah. So it's a really effective way. And I think this is going to be this year was a reminder that this World Baseball Classic is a big deal, and a lot of people watch it, a lot of people care about it, and. I think it can incline more people to join in future seasons, such as 2026. And honestly, after the World Baseball Classic, we saw 2026 can't come soon enough. But that'll wrap up our World Baseball Classic talk as we have a regular season coming up next week. Opening day is a week from today as we're recording on Thursday, March March 30th is opening day. And there's a couple of decisions that both New York teams still have to make. We're going to start with the Mets and... The Mets are kind of filing out their roster. Their roster seems a little bit cut and dry, but they've been making some interesting moves as of late. Francisco Alvarez maybe had an outside shot to make the roster at the start of the season, a catcher who they're very high on, one of their top prospects. Saw a little bit of time at the end of the season last year, but he got assigned to AAA as he had a rough spring training. Went 3-for-28, 107 batting average. So the way it's looking, Maddie, it's going to be a tandem of Omar Narvaez, who they signed in the offseason, and Tomas Nito behind the plate for the Mets, barring any injury that occurs. Yeah, I kind of saw this coming from a mile away with Alvarez, just because when they brought him up last uh, season, I just... I I don't know if he was kind of ready for the majors in the way that he really should have been. Like he was obviously electric in the minor system, and I talked about him like nonstop, and I, I love the guy. I think he's great, but I just... Compared to some of the other guys that they've brought up on the team, like Vientos or Beatty, he just, I don't think, has really gotten there yet with being a catcher for the major leagues. And that just takes time. It takes reps. And if he gets more comfortable in AAA again this year and they call him up in, in the later of the season, maybe it works out for him next time around. But I, to be honest, he just didn't have a good spring. Uh, he didn't really have a good spring start. Um I, I just don't see him kind of getting called up until a little bit later. But from what he's done, I think he can improve, and he's definitely going to be an asset in the future. But the Mets don't really call up a lot of their young guys that early on, really. And I don't think he had a great shot at making the roster at the start of the season anyway. I know Mets fans have really high hopes for this guy as he's been one of the top prospects in their system for a long time now. But with them signing Omar Narvaez in the offseason, it was pretty clear that it's going to be him and Nito. Nito's going to start against the lefties, and Narvaez can start against the right-handed pitchers, or, and they can just kind of bounce off of each other. So that's the tandem that they're going to see. And Alvarez, I think they should wait on him. They brought him up at a weird time last year yeah, in that Braves ma- series. It mattered. When it really yeah. mattered, and they just tossed him in there. I thought that was a little unfair. And, you know, he had a rough spring training, and I don't really hold 
people to a, that high of a standard in spring training. I don't think a really bad spring training matters in the grand scheme of things, especially when you're trying to figure things out. But when you're trying to make a roster, it's not really going to plead your case. And I just think, yeah, the combination of Narvaez signing and the catchers they already have and the bad spring that Alvarez did have kind of left him in this position. All right, I think it, like it's a couple of things, right, where I think first and foremost, you want to give Francisco Alvarez the biggest chance to succeed. And if you don't think that he's ready... Don't rush him up to the big leagues. And also, right, Mets are a World Series candidate this year. Like, your objective ultimately is win now. And, I, like, I like the tandem of Narvaez and Nito. I thought Nito did a rock-solid job last year, and I like the addition of Narvaez. I, he's been very low-key one of my favorite catchers in the league. I think if you look up some of his hitting stats with Milwaukee, like, he's a really he solid bat. He can there. hit off varieties. And when you have Nito that you can hit against lefties and you, can, or you only have to play Narvaez against righties, like, I think you're going to be impressed with some of the hitting you see from Omar Novaez. I think there's questions about his defense, but I, and I think that's another reason for keeping Alvarez down is if you're not sure about his defense at the position yet. Listen, as Yankee fans, we saw it with Gary, right, where offense was so good, but biggest complaint was always the defense, and when they started to work on the defense, the bat goes away, and it's like better to get those problems fixed now or make sure he's at the level that you want him to be now than try to make those adjustments at the major league level. Well, that was exactly what Max Scherzer kind of said when Max Scherzer was doing his rehab with um, Francisco Alvarez, and he was like, the kid's really good. He just needs to work on a couple of things. And so if Max Scherzer's telling you that, that's a guy who has great as judgment as ever. And and he just honestly still needs work defensively. Like, he is just not there with some of his framing. I think he gets off with some of his pitchers when he does that. And I think that was the problem sometimes when Max Scherzer was in rehab and trying to teach him, hey, this is how you're supposed to frame me. This is how we're supposed to communicate. And he just wasn't there yet. I think um, with Narvaez, I'm so glad to see him because God is anyone better than James McCann in that position. Oh, my goodness. So I, I wish James McCann the best of luck, but I am so glad to not see him on this Mets roster. And so I think maybe if James had still been here, Francisco might have had a better shot because I think the fans would have probably been like, look, look at this, like, look at what we're dealing with here. But now that he's gone and, and how good Omar kind of has been and he's been that kind of guy throughout um, – his time with other teams, he just like it just really didn't look right for Alvarez, and and I think he'll be back. I I definitely don't think this is the last time we'll see him, and I don't think the Mets are going to give him up easy. I know people always talk about the trade packages that you can get for this guy and what you're going to get. I just don't know if I'd get rid of him yet. I still feel like you haven't seen what he's really capable of before you start really offloading him to somewhere else just for a guy that you might get and then you know might blow their arm. And what, out or and what are the Mets really going to need? They have a World Series caliber team already. So. I would agree with that. Yeah, I I don't think there's anything they really desperately need. You can get into their closer talk now that you have a problem with. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I've got a problem with their entire bullpen. Well, we know like the bullpen. The bullpen has always been, I think, the shakiest part of almost every single team's roster. When you look across the board at Major League, the the, the um, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not. It's not going to be perfect, but you want it to be good. And with Edwin Diaz, it was like there. He was there. It was a sure close when you had Edwin Diaz there. And now it's kind of opened up. And to my two guys that are there, it's Robertson and Ottavino that kind of, two I would former say, Yankees. Yeah, are up for now grabs for that position. And when you kind of look at it, um, I want your kind of opinions on this as well, but I, I lean Robertson, honestly, in this scenario because I just think Ottavino worked so well in, like, the eight slot in, like, the seven, seventh inning that 
to move him to a closer, I, I just don't feel comfortable with because I'm just a little bit worried with him in that regard. I think both have been great, but I'd rather see Ottavino set up Robertson and Robertson get that extra time to really warm up and really like like get himself centered because some of the problems I've seen with him is he's just very erratic when he starts off pitching like his first couple pitches are just wild and just not there he can't find the zone and he really has to settle in the quicker we can get through that and get over with it give him one inning that's it I think he'll settle into it better than being told hey you have like one two innings to kind of get your groove I think it's interesting here because there's not really a lane that the Mets can go wrong they, these guys have both closed before, and they've both closed at an elite level, both former All-Stars. So it's really a tough decision here, and I understand the idea of Adovino was so good in this spot last year. Let's keep him. But Robertson wasn't necessarily the closer anywhere he was last year. He was kind of a late-innings guy, but he I don't believe he saved any games last year. So, oh, no, he saved 20. That's, <laughs> that's a lot. But for the, but for the Phillies, when he, when he went over there— when he went over there, he was more of a late innings guy. Big discrepancy right there. <laughs> yeah, we're going from it turns zero out to he 20. saved a couple games. <laughs> but Adam Adovino had a great year for the Mets. That's last year. he did. He, he was a lockdown reliever. He wasn't quite Edwin Diaz, but he was a really reliable guy to get That's out. Funny. He was, the, he was, I was like the perfect I was, setup. I was on the fade Adam Adovino train for a while. Like I was. He had a Brian rough, knows a, that I do not trust. He Adam had a Adovino, rough last year with the he, Yankees, and then with the Red Sox, he didn't impress either. And then out of nowhere with the Mets, he has a great season. And the other thing I'd throw out there, and I, I don't know if he's getting talked about too much, Brooks Raley is coming off a he really is. good Sneaky. year. Mm-hmm. Take a look at his 2022 stats with the Rays. He had six saves, but the thing that's standing out to me is 2.68 ERA. Guy can strike out a couple batters. I'm, I'm wondering about him because, right, the Rays know how to develop pitching. And he's coming off, before that year, he had a four-plus ERA with Houston. Houston's another team that tr- knows how to develop pitching. Like, if Brooks Raley is the guy that he was last year, I'm not saying he's the closer, but that's another setup option, and that would do wonders for this bullpen because you talked about one of the great things about this Mets bullpen was you knew who the closer was until he got hurt, right? Yep. You had Edwin Diaz, and you're like, we we should be able, with these arms that we have, we should be able to just get to the ninth inning, and we're good. And now that uncertainty about the ninth inning is back because if you look at this pen, beyond those three guys, you're talking about like Drew Smith, John Curtis, and then you're you're getting to names that you really don't want to talk about. Like there's not a ton of length or depth in this pen. So you gotta hope that Brooks Raley is hitting. I if Ottavino pitches the way he did last year, I'd say make him the closer. I like David Robertson too. So I, I think it's I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of give both of them an opportunity to win the job during the regular season. A closer season. by and committee I think they situation. Should. I think they should. I think that's that should be the way it plays out. And see who takes it. Like if some if someone goes out and absolutely dominates, like yeah, let him be the closer. Mm-hmm. All these guys have closer stuff. Rayleigh Robertson and Ottavino, they all are lockdown relievers. Listen, it's a good top three. It's just you get beyond that and you start to get really worried about this bullpen. This is a Mets team that feels like every year deals with pitching injuries. And you know, depth has always been in question, but they, it feels like they've always had arms that they can put into the rotation. When you look at this bullpen, it's like if one of these guys goes down, you're in trouble. And the injuries could be an issue because I mean they have an old starting rotation. And there's, Robertson's thirty-eight, Robertson's thirty-eight, and Braley's thirty-four. And then your you top look, three relievers are thirty-four. Points. And then you look, and then you look at the rotation. Verlander's forty, and Scherzer's up there in age two, and Scherzer had. Multiple IL stints last year. What so. is Sanga's thirty? Sanga's thirty-two and thirty also. Not thirty-two, exactly. but I can, he's there's there's in, there's interesting uh, yeah, interesting things 36. to look at exactly with the pitching staff here and 
it's something they're going to have to figure out. They kind of have it lined up for the start of the season where it could be Raley, it could be Robertson, it could be Ottavino. So they seem to have that figured out. But another another guy I want to touch on with the Mets is Brett Beatty because Brett Beatty, it seemed like a surefire thing. He wasn't really going to make this roster. They had their third base set up with uh, Eduardo Escobar, and it was going to be just him. But he's Beatty survived another round of cuts, and he's having a great spring, and Escobar's not. So some people are advocating for him to maybe be the starting third baseman. Maddie, I'd love to get your thoughts here. I really do like Brett Beatty. I've been very impressed with him in spring training, um, especially because while he came out and he hit that first, like he hit that home run in his first game that he played, he kind of regressed after that. He wasn't like, he defensively had a lot to work on and, and he wasn't hitting in the same kind of way you saw a guy that hit a home run in his first at bat in the majors. But I, I think what I've seen from him, him like going 13 for 38, he's he had like one home run. Um, and I think letting him have that space, I think Eduardo Escobar going to play in the WBC was like the best thing to happen to Brett Beatty, hands down. If he didn't like go... I don't see Beatty getting kind of the same kind of reps that he would be getting if Escobar was there, even though they would let them both kind of switch in and out. I think it would be much closer to say, oh, Escobar is going to be your starter. Honestly, at this point, now that Escobar is coming back and is going to be there, he's 34. He had a very good September, October, um, and he can switch hit. I don't think Brett Beatty is capable of stuff like that yet. I would still think with the room we have with Brett Beatty, keep him like there um, because I don't see Escobar like Escobar usually has an injury at some point in the season. It usually happens in that in that break of time or just, you know, switch them out interchangeably. But I, I still feel like Escobar will probably make that opening day roster. I still think it's going to be him. I think Brett Beatty could make a case for at some point in the season. I just don't think, honestly, like with the spring that you had, it's an audition. And I think you have to look at, too, what Escobar accomplished last season for them. And when you're looking at what he did versus what Beatty did, I just think Escobar is kind of the stronger, safer option in terms of defense. I think offense, you could make a case for Beatty, but defensively, Beatty keeps making mistakes in spring training that he has owned up to, he improves on, but he's still making those mistakes. People don't talk enough about how good Escobar was the last two months he of the season. He was incredible. Know, like his, as bad as he was offensively those first four or five months, to close out the season, he was one of the Mets' most reliable bats. And it came down to a lineup that had a lot of injuries. He kind of saved them towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I don't, we should not be having any conversations about Escobar being off this roster, but I do think. It was a good opportunity with Escobar playing for Team Venezuela that Beatty gets to get a ton of reps. And you're you're talking about of this wave of top prospects for the Mets where it's Mauricio Alvarez. Beatty's 23. He's kind of the oldest. This feels like this is the year where he could get some run. And even now as you're looking at the projected lineup, like Daniel Volgebeck's the DH for this lineup right now. I don't know if you saw the video on Twitter and, and Instagram that went around. He grounded out and got caught in a hype mic saying, like, I can't hit anything right now. And you already have Darren Ruff in this roster, and Mets fans do not like Darren Ruff. So, uh, As listen, we know. If oh, you gosh. think that Beatty is ready to play at this level, uh, listen, it's a conversation we're going to get into, I think, a little bit later when we talk about if you're going to call up your top prospects that they have to play. Like, even if Beatty's the DH, like, there's a lane for him. If you want to DH yeah. someone else in the infield, like, I think there's a spot on this team, on this roster, for Beatty to get consistent reps. I think so, and... 
Escobar, when we're talking about him, I, I get he's having a bad spring, but it can't just eliminate what he did at the end of last season. I agree. And the great hitter that he's been throughout his career. So Brett Beatty, it may not be his time now, but it'll be interesting to see if guys go down or some he, guys I, aren't getting I the think job done. I he plays at least 80 games this year. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. he's got a great shot at making the roster. I mean, how how long is Darren Ruff going to last if he gets off to a I mean, slow right, like start? The, right, and that's the thing is, like, if Darren Ruff is awful but he's in a bench role, like, you're not going to call up Beatty and have him just sit on the bench. Right, right. that's and the so thing. That's, if you're going to call your like, guy up, you have to play it's him. Like, I think it's a factor of Ruff probably isn't good and Vogelback has to continue struggling and then it's like, well, there's a there's an opening in our lineup. Let's get Beatty in there. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think, I don't think you can option. look into spring training a ton, but I, if it carries I over I don't know that Vogelback is necessarily locked. I, I think he's making this roster, but I don't know that he's locked into this team. Like, I know he had a couple big moments after they traded for him, but this, like, it's not like Vogelbach's been ever really been like a star. Like he's had, he's shown the flashes, he's shown the power, but for the most part, he's an inconsistent hitter. He's your walk guy. He, he's the guy you, you know, know you can get a walk. He knows how to work a walk. He knows how to work a walk. He's, so. your, he's your first to home. But then you get him on. But then you get him on base, and, and he's what, not. what's he great for there? Yeah, like he. It's just like I like the guy. I think he's had his moments, and he's definitely impressed me in terms of where I thought he was going to start and what he's gotten to. I just don't think like that is set for the whole year, that he is going to be that DH consistently through every game this year. It's not going to happen, and I think Brett Beatty, if he really wants to get in there, and he's like, hey, I know defensively I'm having this issue, put me in at DH, and you can see obviously what I'm doing offensively. I can generate some offense for you guys, and I think that's what he should aim for. I think that's what he can do. Um, I think, though, also another guy in there, Mark Vientos, could also make a candidate for something like that because he also has been very impressive offensively. So there's a lot of minor guys, I think, that will get a chance. But I just think that with the Mets, they don't call up these guys that really quick. And I I wouldn't be shocked to see him, like, like see these guys back down in the minors for a longer time again just because of how hesitant they are, like you mentioned, with them you know, being a World Series candidate this year and really just wanting to win now and not develop talent right this second. Well, I think above all else, Mets fans have to be thrilled that he had a great spring training. I agree. And showed, and showed a lot of great signs. I mean, he's doing it with the bat. He's hitting 333, OPS at 905. Mm. That's pretty good. So I think even if he doesn't crack the roster immediately, it's got to be great that he did really well. He excelled in spring training, and the future's got to be bright for this kid. But as we transition now from the Mets over to the Yankees, the Yankees have a lot of really interesting decisions to make. Like, it's been pretty cut and dry with the Mets. You know, it's pretty, some of the young guys have an outside shot to make it, but they probably won't. We're at a point now where I think Anthony Volpe has a real chance to make this roster. And for the longest time, I kind of sat out and kind of played devil's advocate. I was like, no, he's probably not going to make it. They're just Because they like to say that they love these guys and then keep them in the minors. But Anthony Volpe, I was kind of going through this with – they can carry 13 pitchers, and then that's a max. And they're, and gonna, they're going and, to. And they're they going, always, they they always carry that. 13 pitchers. So then when you get to the hitting side of it, the 12 hitters, I got sucked at like 25 on the roster, and then who's making that 26th spot? And to me, I think it has to be Volpe with what he's shown in spring training and given the uncertainty you have at your shortstop position, I really think at this point the Yankees' hands are tied and there's no reason Anthony Volpe shouldn't crack this roster to start the season. The way they've been talking about it, if they're being honest, 
they said he has a legitimate chance to make this roster. And he's done, even Brian Cashman said he's done everything that we could have asked for in terms of the way he's hit in spring training. Like sometimes we talk about spring training not mattering. Well, when you're a kid that's trying to make the roster, I think that's when it really it's does. Everything. That's, it's everything. And he continues to rake. We've seen him hit at the top of the lineup. We've seen him, they've put him fifth. Apparently the defense looks really good at short. He's also gotten time at second base. So I think the Yankees have a lot of options what they want to do. I, again, the whole Isaiah kind of for left a situation has been a contentious point. They sat him in the playoffs for defensive reasons. In important games, in important, when it really mattered, he was games. not in the lineup. So I don't, I don't know if the confidence with IKF is really there. And I, I think they like IKF's versatility. Again, I wouldn't really have a problem. Well, the versatility I, that he now has. That if IKF is the utility guy that plays some center field because that's what he's doing in spring training now. If he's a pinch runner off the bench, like I'm still not in love with it, but like. It'd be tough the way that Vope is sitting to say like he doesn't deserve a shot to be the starting shortstop at a camp. I would agree. I think he has done, like you said, everything he can to do this. I think it comes down to like if you value, and this is not like my case but exactly, but if you value experience, and he played 22 games at AAA last year, only 22, and he has like no major league experience. So you want to if if you're taking that into account, you want to start him opening day. That's okay. Who are, the Yankees are playing the Giants, right? San Francisco Giants. I I feel like that's not a bad option. It literally just when you think of management, what do you think management is going to value? The fact that he only played 22 games in AAA and that he's going to start like on opening day or would you give it to a guy like Peraza who actually had a little bit more experience. He had like what eighteen games he played. In he the looked, he played, good. He played, he played, if you look September. at his major league stats, they're good. He, he hit over three hundred, and he's he, a really good defensive. He shortstop. got into a weird situation with playing time. His major league debut, he gets pinch hit in the ninth in a blowout against Tampa. Like they're lo- <laughs> it was awful the way they started it, and like the way they kind of jumbled him around. He's had a tough spring, and like that's one of the things where that probably hurts him. Like if he has a really good spring, it felt like he had the real chance to take over the shortstop job because we saw him up last year. I'm kind of in the situation where I think Peraza starts in the minor leagues, but like there's also a part of me that's like I could see the Yankees putting Peraza on this lineup instead uh, on this roster instead of Volpe. But I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, you know, no. the hopes are high for Volpe and Peraza hasn't really been great in the spring, but this has to, like this goes Peraza. back to my thought is that what does spring training really mean? Is it yeah. that meaningful at the end of the day? Cuz we saw Kyle Higashioka have the best spring training, one of the best spring trainings we've ever seen. He just hit a home run every time he got up to the plate. He was he, he was babe, he was spring the spring training. training Babe Ruth, and then what he didn't saying. he didn't replicate that in the regular season. Marvin Gonzalez last year had an excellent spring training. That's why he got put on the roster because of his performance in spring training, and he wasn't really a factor at all in the regular season. So Volpe spring has to be encouraging, and I really want him to crack this roster, but I don't think they can go wrong with Volpe or Peraza. Just as long as one of them is on the roster, I'd be okay with. I agree. I think definitely both of them have a very solid shot. I think looking at what the Yankees have done with some of their other prospects that they've called up and already sent them back down, like you look at a guy like Dominguez, who I thought had a fantastic spring and already like is back down there, that to me it just looks like Anthony's going to go back down again. Um, but I don't, like you said, I don't think this is a loss for the Yankees at all. I think this is, uh, I think both are very solid options. I think anyone's a more solid option than IKF. It's this only position. a loss if neither of them are put on the roster. I would agree. Then we have a really big issue where mm-hmm. it's like, what are we doing here, guys? Because Josh Donaldson's looked really bad in spring yes. training, <laughs> and you already have questions at shortstop. So it would only make sense that one of these guys. 
goes on there as at the very least an insurance policy, but they should be getting consistent reps at shortstop because mm, there's no there's no there's no real certainty there. Os- Oswaldo Cabrera can play short, but they probably want him in the outfield. He probably mm-hmm. needs to, right? We're talking about a crowded infield and an outfield that right now is hurt to the point where we were joking, like we think like Willie Calhoun or Ortega, or some one of these random outfielders is going to make this opening day roster because Bader is hurt, and we're Someone's not really gonna sure. Be on what we're doing. Someone has to be on it, right? But you're talking about a crowded infield where it's like. Doesn't seem like the Yankees are just going to move off of Donaldson. It doesn't look like they really can. It looks like they're going to give him another shot. And you have LeMayu and Torres and Rizzo in the mix and IKF in the mix. And it's, if both of them make it, like, what are you doing? Is is LeMayu sliding over to third? Are you doing uh, Peraza at short, Volpe at second, Glaber D8? Like, how is it? Like, feels like if both of them make the roster, a roster move has to be made where someone's getting traded. Yeah, they have a lot of interesting pieces because they have a crowded— they have the infielders, but— the issue is none of them can play shortstop. Glaber tried. Mm-hmm. We they tried Glaber, Glaber at short. short. It yeah. did not work. So then the only way you can get all those guys into the lineup is if you play Stanton in right. And Stanton can't. He physically cannot play right field every single. <laughs> Optimistically, day. they said that they want to get Stanton sixty games. So that's uh, basically it, a third of the yeah. season. So it's Stanton's gonna DH most of this year if he's healthy, which is probably the right move. So that DH spot's not always going to be open either. So it's like the way we're looking at it right now, if they don't make a move, I don't think there's really room for both of them to be on this roster and get, again, it's about getting the playing time that they need because if you're not going to play them enough, let them get the reps in the minor leagues. And, and that's the conversation. We're and the, the interesting thing about a move being made is, do they trade Kiner Falefa? They can use the fact that he can play multiple positions now. He can he can be a utility guy. And maybe that can has attract more trade value than Downs. All right, Donaldson's tough because he's got the no huge one, contract. No one, no one, wants no one really wants to take. He a plays flyer. great defense, but who's going to want him? At like someone, age, someone God, no. could use Isaiah Kiner Falefa. The Yankees could even use him if it's yeah. in a versatility mm-hmm. spot, right? So it's like it, Donaldson's the tough one, where it's like, are you willing to? Like lose a prospect on it? Are you? Do, would you want to give him a half a year? Hope he hits enough where someone, may, like, takes a flyer at him, and, and then you're only taking on fourteen million of his contract because half the year's already over. Like, it might be a case where they just wait till halfway through these and at the trade deadline try and dump him, and they don't have to dump a top prospect to get rid of him. I can kind of see this being similar to a Mets and Robinson Cano situation where they tried him out last year and he clearly just wasn't cutting it. So yeah. they just ate out. the rest of the contract yeah. and cut him. So I can see that happening. I know the Yankees don't like to do this and they don't like to lose out on contracts. but They're a little stubborn. They're, they're, they're yeah. very stubborn. But if it becomes such a hindrance to the team where he's looking as bad as he has in spring training and it carries over to the regular season, I don't think they're really going to have a choice. No, I don't think they'll have a choice either. And I, I just think at that point, like, when we look at all of this, you got to realize, like, at some point, at when when is enough time in the minors? When is enough time to be called up? And, like, what do you think is, like, the point where they're like, okay, they've had enough experience. I think they're ready for this. And I don't know if the Yankees know what they're like looking for in that respect now, just because of how talented these young guys are that you're seeing every day. Um, you mentioned like later the trade value of IKF. I think he is uh, like a pretty decent trade value because he could pull a couple of scenarios where he just isn't clicking with the Yankees and he just goes somewhere else as a utility player and he just does phenomenally. Like I, I maybe just the Yankees is not the right fit for him. Can you give Peraza, you give Volpe a chance to like get into their groove and do something and just start with new talent rather than a guy who you know is not doing well at your position. You might as well just get rid of him while you can and let him kind of flourish somewhere else. If he flourishes, good for him. If he didn't, you cut your losses. So it's it, I don't feel like there's a lot to lose here with a 
Peraza or Volpe starting that position, I just think can't be IKF. I think you just got to take the risk and start calling up your guys and putting them in and seeing what they can do. It's also it's hard not to get romantic about like the making the comparisons between Volpe and Jeter and being like, yeah, let's get him on the roster, get him some yeah. of the experience. Oh, yeah, I already saw the photo where it was like, here's Anthony Volpe next to Derek yeah, Jeter. Like, <laughs> Yankee fans were gonna do that, and it's like it's tough that it would be so drastically different from what we usually do with our top prospects. Like we rarely give them the opportunity to come up early. I can't shake the feeling of like when Glaber first came up and he was like what twenty two yeah he, and he was, was just he was, he was just he was younger than that twenty one like he was just he was just our nine hole hitter and he gets like that walk off hit against the Astros and that was the year where him and Andujar both came up and it was like great year that was so much fun and it's like you think back to the time where they've they've put the faith in their prospects and Judge is a different case because Judge was older and he'd been seasoned he'd been through the minor leagues but right Judge made the opening day roster out of camp mm-hmm. and then like started playing games it's like oh this guy's hit 52 home runs right like it's like it's tough not to have those dreams about like your top prospects and with glaber but they are stubborn in a sense because neil walker was the opening day second baseman that season so they, right no, yeah glaber got called up in may yeah like eight, late april early may so it's no guarantee they make this roster i'm really interested to see what they're gonna do and i'm sure i'll have a lot to say about it when the time comes and that decision's made but one last thing here with the with baseball, they're making some alterations to the pitch clock rule, but overall, the pitch clock is staying. And I think at some point, at some point, people are going to get used to the pitch clock. They're going to be fine with it, and that's what that's where I've been. Because at the start of spring training, I didn't like it at all, but it was a hard getting used to area. And now we're at a point where the pitch clock, the violations have gone down. People have gotten used to it, and. Overall, it's going to be a good thing for Major League Baseball, regardless of what any naysayers may say. I agree. I, I was a fan of the pitch clock when it was like brought up because there are some relievers in particular I'm sick of seeing wind up for at least like 15 seconds on the mound, and it's drags in that ninth inning. The when Pedro you... Baez video is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I know like, that's I mean, from 2016. Se- se- seven Jose Altuve inside the park home runs. <laughs> like, it's, that's too many. It's, it's ridiculous to see kind of like how long the game is, and I get what Major League Baseball is trying to do where they're thinking, okay, well, maybe if we shorten the game, maybe people will actually want to watch it more than watching like, like I would be fine sitting down to watch a very long baseball game but to the casual fan you're trying to entice into the sport when like you mentioned earlier Lou that the sport has like dwindled in popularity compared to football basketball all those other sports you want to get as many people interested in the game as possible and I think with some of the rules it just keeps it up it's worked in the minors I've seen it work in the minors so there's no reason it can't translate to major league baseball regardless of what the naysayers are saying they wouldn't implement it if it didn't work in the minors right. and it didn't help kind of grow that fast so I think it's going to be a really I think it's going to be a good thing in the long run I see people saying Oh, well, the World Baseball Classic doesn't have a pitch clock, and that was awesome. Well, that's not fair to compare because no. you're comparing a high-stakes World Baseball Classic game, but then try doing that same thing, no pitch clock, long games, in a game with the Detroit Tigers against the Seattle Mariners. It's not It's not the same thing. Brian, we were talking about the average length of a baseball game hasn't been under three hours since 2011. At the same, like It doesn't feel like that long ago. At the same time, that's over 10 years. And I think you look at... The way it was in the minor leagues where the, the MLB Rules Commissioner even talked about it. Like, yeah, it was a rough start in the minor leagues, but you know what? They got used to it. And, you know, you start talking about even just drawing in the average viewer. And I still, I, like, I'm not so sure that this is even for that. Like, even for the diehard viewer, like, 
don't you want this game to be the best version of it as possible? More action in less time is going to be better for the game as long as it doesn't harm the product and it doesn't look like it's going to, right? There's a little bit of an adjustment process, and then ultimately we're going to get more action. Look back, watch the 86 Mets World Series. Those games are awesome. We're talking about like high leverage ninth inning stuff. You're not noticing that they're moving quickly. There was no pitch clock. They were just moving quickly. So it's like if we get to that, like that's not a bad thing. We were also talking like I think what you're going to see is, right, they're being told in spring training, enforce it by the letter of the law. I think you'll see more leniency with it once the regular season happens. Especially late in games. They're not going to try and end a game on an automatic strike. Right. That's not what the umpires want to do unless, unless it's, like, blatant. I don't think it's going to happen. I and I don't, I don't see a hitter at this point with now the heightened awareness of the pitch clock and the get in the box by eight seconds. I don't see that happening. I think the spring training was great for hitters to be able to adjust to it and understand what this really is. So I don't see it being a huge issue in the regular season. I think it's going to be a good thing. People want to cite that one Red Sox spring training game that that went awry with the end of the game. And I'm just like, that was one instance in the first week of spring training that that occurred. I mean, I'll just say I sent out a pretty nasty tweet. (laughs) I was was a little upset when I saw that. I, I might take that one back. Yeah, I think it's just like, it just takes some getting used to. And I think, like you said, spring training was just the best time for that to happen. And and I think the rules are fine, like, the way they have kind of modified them. And, and at this point, it's all you could ask for. I don't think, like you guys said, the umpires are going to be, like, obnoxious about this. I think especially to start the season. Angel, 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 Angel Hernandez, Hernandez could be. Well, that was yeah. the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> that, that could be the case. But I, I think for them, well, I don't know if Angel is going to remember C- all those Buckner rules. might have some. Do you think <laughs> Angel is going to remember all those rules anyway? Like That's actually a good point. He could blatantly <laughs> miss a pitch clock violation. And it could <laughs> I do imagine we're going to see any sort of people complaining about no pitch clock violations. <laughs> Angel Hernandez. That'll be me. <laughs> I'll do it. But, yeah, I, I just think, like, the rules – have done everything they can to try and improve the game for everybody. And you don't really see, like, you saw Max Scherzer, like, really trying to work how the rules were going to be. And he was taking his time with learning he these rules. Abusing <laughs> he was abusing He was abusing He was messing with him. And that's he was getting, Max Scherzer he was getting on the do. bump at eight seconds and forcing them to wait, like, eight full seconds. It was like, I so love that. Funny. That's awesome. And, and he's just working it out. Like, I feel like that's what you should be doing in spring training. If you really are going to complain about the rules, why not take advantage of it as much as you can? And that, like, that's how you get rules to change. If you can find a way to, like, exploit the rule to the point where it becomes a super bad disadvantage, like, hey, that's how we figure out how to fix these rules and iron them out. That's well, what spring trading is for. Well, guys, we had a great conversation today, and the season, so has, season hasn't mm-hmm. even started no. yet. Imagine what happens when this season gets rolling. And it's amazing. These guys play a sport. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, certainly <laughs> they certainly play sport. Do. That's going to do it today with the regular season right around the corner. We all can't wait, but that'll do it for this episode of Nosebleeds. Sports director of WFUV is Bobby Chaffardini. You can catch Nosebleeds on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. But that's going to do it for today. From Lou Orlando and Maddie Bamonte, I'm Brian Rabax. Thank you so much for listening to Nosebleeds. And it's, of course, a production of WFUV Sports.